I'm so glad to be here kicking off this series. I know y'all were more excited about UK yesterday, but today I promise when I'm done, you're going to be excited about Colossians. Um, my heart has just, uh, every time I start to preach a new book of the Bible, you know, um, even though I've read the book, I've not spent a lot of time in it. And when you start spending time in it, every, every, every time you're like, wow, this is really incredible. And there's so much truth and life-changing things uh, in every word in this book. Like, no matter where I end up, it's powerful. And, uh, and this one, I think, is just in the right, the right season um, for us. Uh, I want to share a little story. A guy named Chuck Swindoll included this story in one of his books um, about a guy by the name of, I don't want to get his name wrong, Thomas Huxley. Uh, he was kind of a philosopher of the 1800s, and um, he, he really pushed back against Christianity. He was kind of speaking against it. But he, they tell a story of one time he was in Dublin, Ireland, and he was late for a train he was supposed to catch. And, um, and, and, and so he grabbed a cab... I said 1800s. Anybody like, what? It was a horse-drawn buggy, but it was a taxi. It was a cab. It was, it was led by horses. He jumps in. He says, hey, I'm late. I, I'm late. Can you, I need to get there fast. And, uh, and, and so he gets in, and, and the, the driver just takes off, starts going. And, um, and, and so he's like, I'm going to rest my eyes. Nothing I can do right now. I'm just going to take a deep breath, rest my eyes for a minute while we're on our way to the train station. So he rests his eyes for a minute, and then he opens his eyes, and he realizes they're going in the wrong direction. And he begins to ask himself, and he's trying to remember, wait, I know I told him I need to get there fast, but I don't think I told him where there was. <laughs> and so he said, hey, where are you going? He said, I don't know. You just said go fast, and we're just going. I'm going fast. That's what you asked for. And, and, and so what you have in that story is a guy who's going really fast but has no idea where he's going. The, the, the church at Colossae, this letter that we're going to read about today, is written to a church, a group of people, who started out with their faith anchored on Jesus, but they're now being distracted. And they were surrounded by a culture and a place that was, they, were, they were going somewhere fast and they had no idea where they were going. It sounds a lot like the culture that we live in today where we are so busy. Like we just get up and go without sometimes thinking about where we're even going. So as we dive into this series on the book of Colossians, uh, this is what it is really about. I want to share just a, a few scriptures to kind of give us the context of this overall series. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit like a lecture here at the beginning because you've got to understand. Uh, Y'all don't even know what a Colossi is, do you? Who knows? Who's like, what's a Colossian? Okay. Y'all are so quiet. Let's turn the lights up a little bit. I'm afraid they're going to sleep. I want to see you. Are you out there? There we go. All right. So we're going to look at Colossians uh, today, and, and we're going to look at kind of the, the, we're going to get some context, and then I only have two points in my sermon since I'm going to be talking about a little context first. So that's my gift to you. Not three points, just two. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says it like this, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. 
This is the passage of scripture that Michael Clark and Rooted Church um, that we helped plant and partner with in Whitesburg, Kentucky. This is a passage of scripture that God put on his heart. That's why they're called Rooted Church. It says, let your roots grow down into him. Who's him? Jesus. And let your lives be built on him. You must continue to follow him. You accepted him. Now follow him. There's a process here. The other verse that I love that kind of gives us the context is uh, chapter 3, verse 17. It says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Like when you lost your temper at McDonald's this morning. <laughs> do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The, the title slide here, it says Colossians in the bottom. It says Jesus in all of life. At top, it says hobbies, work, spouse, friends, health, self, finances. This book is an incredible book, and it's got a lot of truth. I'm going to give you just a, 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 few, a preview of the major themes in the book. I'm going to give you a little bit of the outline of the book and what you can look forward to over the next little bit. Uh, and then we'll dig into the first five verses um, the first thing, major themes in the book is this is about Jesus. Like the whole book is about Jesus. What had happened is the church at Colossae, uh, uh, they had been distracted by some pagan religions and they were being, by the Greeks, they were drawing them over into this. And then the, the Jews who got saved were trying to draw them into legalism and following the Torah. And so they were mixing all this stuff up. And so Paul wanted to get with them and be like, you need to focus on Jesus. And he talks a lot about who Jesus is. Then he wants them it's really know and grow. I want you to know about Jesus, and then I want you to grow in your faith. There's no cruise control. All right? There's no, like, in the Christian walk, in the faith, there's no, like, oh, I came to a safe place here. Now I can hit cruise control, just attend church on Sundays and soar through the rest of my life. And it, it, Paul says, no, in all of your life, a hunger to grow more and more like him the rest of your life and grow closer and closer to him. Uh, it's about discipleship. So it's about knowing Christ and it's about growing in him. There's a couple things here. The outline, it starts with a greeting. It says, hey, what's up? It's like your text you just sent to your buddy this weekend. He said, hey, what's up? It starts with a greeting. This is a letter he was writing to the group at church and then it's got a body. Y'all back in English 101 right now, you with me? So an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. You all are tough this morning. I don't know what in the world. Nobody's responding. Whew, it's going to be long if y'all don't at least react a little bit. Um, and so in the body, two things. He says, the truth about Jesus and then the second half of the body is about now that you know, here's how you should respond. Here's how you should live your life. Here's how it should bear fruit in your everyday life. What I love is in that second half, he gets into deep things. He tells us some do's and don'ts. That'll be a little mini-series in the middle of this. He talks about relationships. He talks about families and being a parent. He talks about marriages. He talks about friendships. He talks about work relationships. Like in the end of the series, we're going to get into a lot of good stuff that's going to be super applicable to your everyday life. Uh, we're also going to have a little mini-series in it. It says, what's the big deal about Jesus? Most of us here raised around here in Jesus our whole life. We've been in church. We've been around churches. Um, and, and we've heard about Jesus. And we kind of can say the things. But I want us to almost just pretend like we don't know anything about this guy. 
when we dig into this series, we're going to say, what's the big deal about Jesus? And we're going to hear these absolutely mind-blowing things and claims that Paul makes about Jesus. And so we're going to spend about four weeks saying, what's the big deal about this guy, this carpenter from Nazareth? What's the big deal about him? Why do we have Jesus in all of life instead of Gandhi in all of life? Or Papaw in all of life? Papaw could be good, but he's not perfect. Why do we not have Joe Biden or Donald Trump in all life? See, I did that. I made everybody mad. <laughs> you thought, oh, he's going to make me mad. No, I made y'all mad. <laughs> Why do we not have Joe Biden or Donald Trump in all of life? Why is it Jesus? What was different about this man that changed everything? And so we're going to spend some time like digging deep into some simple truths about who he is. Jesus and all of life. Y'all ready? All right, some context real quick. You got to know about uh, Colossae. You got to know about this town. People living there, when we throw a little map up here, y'all like, this is college or something. <laughs> Colossi's right there. I hope you can see it. It's in the middle, the red circle to the right. It's about 100 miles from Ephesus. You've heard of Ephesians or Ephesus. It's a really popular town, major city at the time. Um, over on the main left is Rome. That happens to be where Paul is at the time of writing this letter. Uh, over on the main right is Paul's hometown, Tarsus. That just gives you some context of what, uh, what it looked like at this time. Uh, Colossae had Jews and Greeks living there, so you had very Jewish ritualistic things, and then you had all kinds of pagan religions where they would just love debating philosophy and, and different gods and who they were and who made the earth. You imagine without the Bible, if we all were just here like, man, where'd we come from? All right, that's where they were. Like, how'd we get here? What's this all mean? Is the Son of God? You know, and, and so what happens is the gospel reached Colossae. Um, it was probably the smallest and least important city that Paul ever wrote to. Like, it was kind of out of the way. It was on a trade route, but it wasn't a big town. Um, and they, they sold purple wool, Colossinus it was called. So the fabric was a big thing. That was their, their major industry. Um, kind of an interesting fact that I don't think has really any relevance, but the town uh, was destroyed by an earthquake like pretty soon after this letter was written. Uh, and they'd never rebuilt it. The towns around it, Laodicea, they built back, but not Colossae. It is under. It is still under a mound of dirt, and so and architects have never excavated it. They don't know all the depth of what's there. They've taken stuff off the top and they found some artifacts, but it's never been excavated. That's a little bit about Colossae. Everybody's so excited about that town. You want to go see it? Take a tent. There's nothing there. Um, so uh, it was in what was would be modern day Turkey. All right. Who wrote the letter? Paul wrote the letter. You know Paul used to be Saul. He murdered Christians. God met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life. He became the first great missionary um, uh, that just planted churches all over the known world Roman Empire at the time. He was going town to town, sharing the gospel, planting churches. Uh, at this time, it was late in his ministry. He was in prison in Rome. He was in house arrest. This is uh, what would be known as one of the prison epistles, letters. 
While he was in prison, they wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. These four letters came from around the same time while he was in prison. He was writing this letter because a guy named Epaphras, you love that name? Yes. Whew. All kinds of stuff to pronounce here. Um, we'll call him Epi. <laughs> so Epi uh, was a guy who was originally from Colossae, and we'll get through this as we work through the book, but he was originally from that town. Um, but we know that Paul preached for two years in Ephesus, and, and the Bible says while he was preaching there, the gospel reached the, that known region. All right, so it's very likely that Epi was in Ephesus. He was from Colossae, but it's very likely he was there and at some point through Paul's ministry heard the gospel. What's the big deal about Jesus? He heard that story. He heard the good news about Jesus. Changed his life. Like He might have come from Colossae to Ephesus as uh, a, a carpenter or a, a small business guy or a teacher. I don't know, but he left Ephesus going back to Colossae, a new creation and on a mission. So he goes back to his hometown, Colossae, and he plants a church. He starts sharing the gospel in this little town. And, uh, and people start getting saved, and the church grows, and, and, and things are going well. At some point, he makes the trip to Rome. Epi goes to Rome. That's a new Hallmark movie. Uh, Epi goes to Rome to, to find Paul and tell him what's happening at the church. One, he's going to see Paul and check on him. Um, but he also, we find in the way this letter's written, you ever listen to somebody on a phone call and all you hear is one side of the, the, that's what reading these letters is kind of like. We don't know exactly what the church said to him or what Epi said to him. Get a few little hints. Um, but we get this side of the conversation that Paul sits down and pins this letter back to the church at Colossae. Y'all there? Y'all with me? All right, so... Paul wrote this letter. Epi planted a church there. A little bit of uh, insight into what he probably told Paul. One was he told him some good things because Paul tells him in the verses we're going to look at today he's grateful for their faith and their love and that they're being faithful. Um, but then we find some warnings where it's kind of like some, they've intermingled some false religion and pagan beliefs in. Like they're just taking a piece of this and that and just making their own little their own little gods and their own little way of life. The problem really doesn't matter. It's very similar to what we're dealing with here in America in Pikeville. What matters is we for sure know what the solution is. Okay, so the solution for Colossae is the same solution for you and me, and it's Jesus in all life. And so that's what we're going to spend some time in over the coming weeks um, and so let's read the verses. You want to read the verses? How's he start this thing? Hey, what's up? I'm Paul. Kind of like that. He says, this letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Let's read all the way through verse 5 and then we'll come back. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth 
of the good news. The good news is the gospel. It is the story of Jesus and his salvation he offers. So that's the five verses we're going to tackle this morning. I was going to try to do eight, but you got five. Um, and so that's where we're going to be this morning. One other kind of precursor, Paul had probably never been to this town. He'd never been to Colossae. His ministry had impacted it. God had used him and it impacted this place, but he'd never been there. We're going to look at two points this morning, I promise. We're going to look at Paul's posture in these first five verses, and we're going to look at two things. First thing I want to look at is the, his posture of humility. See, this was late in Paul's ministry. He'd done a lot of incredible things at this point. He'd planted a lot of churches. He'd reached a lot of lost people. He, he had been a part of, of, of seeing people getting healed and the Holy Spirit and gifts. Like, he had seen a lot in his ministry. But he starts out this letter um, pretty simple by saying, this letter's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He starts this out by saying, God chose me. I didn't choose him. He starts this out by saying, I want, I want you to understand I have nothing to boast about. A lot of good has come out of my life and my ministry, but I want to be honest with you. Paul's saying, I want to be honest with you. Hey, this is not me. God chose me. God chose me. In 1 Corinthians, he told the church at Corinth in 15, chapter 15, verse 10, he says, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So in our own lives, what, what, what we're going to try to learn from Paul here is a posture of humility. Because the, the reality is uh, Christians and churchgoers have the tendency to become proud, to become prideful, to become self-righteous, to, to start thinking, man, I chose Jesus. They should choose Jesus. I go to church. Like, if they just go to church, everything would be okay. You just need to go to church. I go. I go to church. Like, I picked Jesus. I did the right thing. You're doing the wrong thing. And, and yet, Paul teaches this lesson, and throughout the New Testament, we find that as believers that continually, even Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 16, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Like, I chose you. And, and in, in Ephesians, the first chapter, he says he chose us from the foundation of the world. Does the fact that he chose us, does that mitigate or reduce our responsibility to respond and repent and believe in him? It doesn't. But what it does is it humbles us, those who are believers, because we were dead. Okay? We were dead in our sin, unable to do any good thing. To come to him. You remember the time, I think about Paul in this story. I think what he had gotten the grasp of is like, I remember when I was going down that road to Damascus, and I couldn't wait to arrest some Christians. I was so excited, and Jesus stopped me dead in my tracks. And he spoke my name. And he said, Paul, why are you kicking against me? And Paul said, Who are you? And he said, It's Jesus, the one you're fighting against. And in that moment, Paul's whole world changed 
Until we are humbled to the point that we remember the time that Jesus spoke our name, like took us out of our pride and our sin and our arrogance and our, our dis disobedience, until we remember the time he stopped us. And maybe, maybe he stopped you through a preacher in a church and you heard the gospel. Maybe he stopped you through a, a Christian friend you have and you were just having dinner and they shared the gospel with you. You did not go find the gospel yourself. God breathed it and brought it to you. He has been gracious. And it, even Paul here has every reason to be proud and prideful has a posture of humility. See, he knew his identity in Christ. He knew his identity in Christ. The question is, do you, do I, do I know who I am in Jesus? Do I know what that means? Am I just going to church? Or am I in relationship? A relationship that bears fruit and is obvious that he's changed my heart. I don't think we can grow the, the deep roots that chapter 2 and verse 6-7 talk about and, and build it on the foundation and just until, we get, until we grasp this. Until we grasp that when we were yet sinners, deep in our rebellion, I mean, I know from my own story the times and the seasons. I doubted God. I ran from God. Questioned whether he even existed once I got to college. Spent time trying to poke holes in the Bible and all the, all the truth. And, and like thinking it was, it, was a, a, it was just all made up. I remember those times. I remember those times. And you know, in those times, Jesus was loving me. In those times, he was walking, walking right with me through the doubt and the, and the worry. He wasn't getting angry at me. He was seeing, and he was lining things up around me to draw me to him. Like, I didn't decide to come out of that. He literally revealed himself to me through the scripture and friends and Bethany, my wife, who was faithful. We started dating. And he started sharing, and I cannot be proud of anything except to say, God chose me. Like, I don't know why I didn't deserve it. It wasn't because, like, that's a good one. No, it wasn't. Nobody would have chose me. I can't believe Beth chose me. Until you realize that God chose you, that while you were a sinner, he died for you. That while you were, should have been his enemy, he was reaching out his arms to befriend you. Like He was revealing the truth that he loves you so much that he died for you. And in that moment, you hear it. And the gospel's like a grenade. That's <laughs> right? so what John said a couple weeks ago. You pull the pin. The truth of that. I remember, I went, I think I believe that. I, have faith. I believe Jesus is real. I believe this is not just a story. It's not just like I feel him tangibly in my life. Like Israel, I can see it and I believe it. And I'm putting my life in him. And I remember I didn't do it perfectly, but over time we mature and we grow. I mean, even after I was preaching, I was afraid. I think I shared this story a few weeks ago. Speaking at Rotary Club... I was 
working at the Chamber of Commerce, speaking at the Rotary Club, and you had to get up when you joined and share the things about your life, like a short biography or personal narrative or something, I don't remember. Shared everything except that I was a preacher. Guys, I'm just, I'm just a guy. <laughs> Made all kinds of mistakes. But the power of the gospel, this is humbling. And in this posture of humility, Paul led the greatest missionary, evangelistic outreach that turned the known world upside down in humility. He had a posture of humility. The second thing we see they had, he says, we were writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, your faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Then he says this, he says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, stop right there just for a minute. Paul's in prison. I'm in prison. We've had floods. Many of you have been impacted. Um, or, or just imagine you're in some difficult season of life. If your marriage is in trouble and you reach out to a friend, or your, your home's uh, been damaged, or you, you lost your job, or you, you got some bad thing going on in your life, when you reach out to your friends, what's usually what you say? Hey, I lost my house. Will you pray for us? And yet we find in this greeting from Paul that sitting in prison, being persecuted, he did nothing wrong except do what God called him into. And we find that, that he has a posture of gratitude. But the, so he had humility, but he also got gratitude. But guess what? The gratitude didn't depend on his comfort or circumstances because he, he had no reason to be grateful, honestly, when you look at what was happening in his life. I would have been writing, hey, listen, church at Colossae, send me some money up here. I pray for us. I'm in trouble. I'm in prison. But he says, we, how often? Always. Always. Not like occasionally when I remember right before bed and, you know, fall asleep three words in. <laughs> Not, you know, to rush real quick before we eat the pollo bandito because it's getting cold. He says, we always, like prayer was a serious component and part of his life. And who's he praying for? People he's not even met. How many times, like we don't even pray good for our neighbor, much less people we've not even met. He's not even met these people. And he says, we always pray for you. And we give thanks to God. We give Gratitude. He's not grateful for things. He's, he's not grateful for even his own circumstance. Like he's up there in jail in Rome and, and house arrest. And he's just shouting and praising the Lord like, what's going on? It's like, I just heard that God is faithful in Colossae. And they're like, why do you care? I don't care. He's like, but it's so awesome. God is down in Colossae and they, they're faithful and they're loving each other. And the good news is bearing fruit and more people are following Jesus. I am so grateful. Man, if we could just have that posture in our life, wouldn't that be good? Uh, so he had this posture 
of humility and posture of gratitude. And so we see what he's, what he's thankful. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. For I've heard of your faith in Jesus, and I've heard of your love for all God's people. Heard of their faith. Y'all, y'all got this hanging at your house from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> faith, love, hope. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope. And love, he says, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. I've heard about your love for the church and God's people, all God's people, regardless of ethnicity or background or, 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 or any of those things. It doesn't matter. Like, you love all God's people. You've got faith in Jesus. These are two important things. Faith in Jesus always leads to love for all people. And he says, which come from your confident hope that, that, that faith and love coming out in a life it springs from it comes from out of this confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven this inheritance this eternity we find that their purpose today is tied in their future in heaven just like you and me like our purpose today no matter what we're doing it's tied and connected to hope for eternity. I think somebody must have uh, watched my, my, my sermon from last week. I got this letter in the mail. Y'all remember last week? Y'all came back. Thank you. Um, uh, I got this letter in the mail this week, and it was from Canada. I don't get much mail from Canada. Y'all get mail from Canada very often. Uh, and it, was, it, was, it looked like it was kind of personalized, not like a, a, a template or like, you know, spam or marketing it had a real stamp on it from Canada I was like that's interesting and uh and I guess like in my mind I'm thinking now looking back I was thinking this morning I was like they must have saw my sermon last week saw I was struggling with greed like they heard me talk about that I was super vulnerable with you all and um and they heard that because I was opening that letter I was thinking it's probably a check like <laughs> what I was thinking like this is maybe they've heard about the flood relief or the church and want to check to me, but just I love the church. Get like I just like to see people give and give it away. Like I love to give and I love people to see give. And so I'm opening it and I'm thinking that and I pull this letter out and I'm like, like a 12 year old at a birthday party opening their birthday card. Like, Where's the money? So I, I, I fold this letter out and, and there's no check. And I was, but I started reading the letter and it said, Hey Jared, uh, it said, Dear Jared. It's like, hey, you don't know me. We've not had any dealings in the past, but um, uh, I got something I want to share with you that um, that I want to I need help with. Said so I, I work at a bank here in Ontario, and uh, we discovered this uh, this old account, investment account that was here, uh, owned by a guy who passed away nine years ago. His name was Henry Arnett. He said, after a quick search in America, I found you, Jared Arnett, and, and I think you probably his next of kin. And this account that he's got is worth $9.463 million. And I was like, Beth! I got, a, I got a papa I didn't know about. My Uncle Henry. <laughs> I 
by this point, I've read through it, and I, I'm seeing, I'm starting to see, like, this is mean. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and, and it goes through, and it says, I think, he said, what I'll do, my name's Eric, and he gave me this email address. He says, email, you email me, and what I can do is make sure that you fill all the paperwork out, and we can make you the next to Ken. We'll get this $9 million and we'll split it. That's what he, what he said. And... Uh, and so I did some research on this super common fraud thing. You get to the end, and they've, they've moved the cash to America, but you've got to pay $20,000, right, duty fees or something to get the, like it's a completely fraudulent thing. But, but for a minute, I went $9 million. And Paul here is talking about this inheritance in heaven. He says, this is the hope. This is the thing that changed your life. Now, I mean, if, if somebody said, you're getting $9 million in two weeks, would you live differently the next two weeks? Would you sleep different? Would you feel different when you woke up in the morning? Would you, would you feel like you, you had some security that you didn't have before? And see, money has the ability to do that. And Paul is saying, you've got an inheritance in heaven that when you get a hold of it, when you really understand that this is more valuable than money, this hope that comes from this inheritance that is reserved for you in heaven, it brings faith out of you and it brings love. You live different when you are in relationship with Jesus and you understand the inheritance and what he's done and what he's given and you live with gratitude. So Paul had this posture of humility and gratitude and I thought about as we get ready to wrap this up um, the power of the truth of the, the good news because that's how he ends it. He says, you've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news or the gospel you heard about Jesus. I thought about how, you know what FYI means? It means for your information. And, and you see the story of Jesus is not just another story and information you get. It, it, it's really FYT. It's for your transformation. You see, because there was once Paul, I'm thinking of this chain of story here, who murdered Christians, and the gospel changed his life. Totally different person. And I think about uh, Ep Ep Epaphras, Epi. Think about Epi who just went to Ephesus, probably unknowing, just on business or to pick something up at, at Hobby Lobby or, you know, I don't know. Like he just was there and all of a sudden his life got totally disrupted when he heard the gospel. And he went back a different person. He went to his town. He went on mission and he planted a church. Now think about the gospel being transformational and I, I began to think about just our story and God and my own life and how he's convicted me and he's, he, he, he just took me in and he, he's been so good to me, not in material things, but just in eternal things. And I thought about the ministry he's done through our church and the people that have been getting baptized and the families that have been changed. And, and I'm just so grateful for what he is doing um, and, and it reminded me of Michael that I mentioned earlier, Michael Clark, because um, I was talking to him this week. We went to a meeting together, and uh, I was telling him I'm getting ready to start preaching on Colossians, 
And, um, and, and I was, we were just talking about this transformational part of the gospel. And he told me, he was just reminding me his story. He's like, man, I was in jail. He was a felon. He was a multi-felon, a drug dealer, drug user, addict, 20 years in either prison or treatment or, you know, back and forth. That was his life. And, and he was saying, yeah, when I was in the, the, the place I was in, jail, when, I, when, I, when Dave Hammond came and shared the gospel at that place, he said, I just went because I didn't really have anything else to do. I didn't want to stay in my room. I'd just go down to this thing and hear the guy say the stuff, and then I'll go back and do whatever. He said, what I really had the plan to do when I got out of jail, see, I'd built my network up while I was in there. Like, I couldn't wait to get out and start selling drugs again. Like, I knew more people. I had more connections. I, I could get more stuff. I could get stuff cheaper. Like, this is what he was thinking. And you see, he unknowingly walked down into a room where the pin was pulled on a grenade. And he went back to bed that night a totally different person. And he, became, he immediately began leading Bible studies. Like, he is a picture of the gospel at work. Started reading his Bible front to back. He's like, when, when he got out, he immediately started preaching and sharing his story. And God moved in such a way in his life. And, and, and we ended up planting, helping him plant a church in Wattsburg um, back in February. And, and he's pastoring him and his wife. And like God is doing amazing things because the gospel is transformational. Amen. And so I want to just close. I want you to be encouraged, one, to look back. And realize to save you, you needed the same amount of grace that Michael needed. That God saved you. We want to come with a posture of humility. We didn't earn it. We didn't do better. Like our better lifestyle and more religious in church. Like all that stuff is a sin in and of itself thinking we can do enough good. That we can come with and humility and gratitude for what God has done. So I want to just end with a, uh, a video because they've been baptizing people in Whitesburg. You've been a part of that. It's kind of like Whitesburg might be like Colossae, might be the town. Some of you have never seen. You've not, maybe not been to see the church. You don't know the people there. There's 70 to 100 people meeting every Sunday morning. There's people getting baptized. Things are happening because of the power of the gospel. Today we want to baptize them into newness in the name of our Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. She lost, about lost her wedding ring. I hope that wasn't what she was going to come up with. Oh, it grabbed onto it so hard. All right, now this is the guy who just received Christ a few weeks ago, Richard. And he is following the order and the commandments that our Father gave us. Jesus left us. He said to be baptized in my... In, 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 the name, he told the disciples to go out and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So today, today, he is, he is saying what I was is no more. Amen. That I've been crucified with Christ. Never yet I live, no not I, but the Son of God lives in me. 
And if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, upon his confession of faith as Jesus as his Lord and Savior, I'm going to do what Jesus instructed us to do. I'm going to baptize him in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.